Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Time now for a dear friend, and he is a dear friend, has been for a long time, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. You know, move the mic just a touch this way. Toward there, you go just a little bit more. Yeah, if you would, it's kind of fuzzing up a little bit. Okay, how's there? You, perfect. Uh, I had a lot of calls, many calls about your last couple of programs. Okay. They loved them. Thank you. So this is part two uh, from last week. Yes, about a guy named Matt Nelson. But before we start, I got to say hi to Tina up in Montana. She wrote to me, and also Brett, who told me. All summer long, he's been sitting on his deck listening to the uh, all the different podcasts. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, so he's gone through, I don't know how many of them, well, now, sitting Tina, out on his desk. Tina in Montana, is she listening live as we I, do it right now? You know, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Okay. I just get the emails, and they talk about the shows. So. Okay. So here we are. I'm going to give you a little recap from last week. Good. Matt Nelson, at age 15, was on a cattle drive and survived a severe stampede. A few years later, who went to work for... The Figure Four Ranch, and we're picking up our story. The uh, foreman has sent him into town to pick up an Eastern dude guy. His name is Gregory. Yes. Okay. So he's at the at the train station, and and this guy comes out dressed to the nines in Eastern clothes, and he said, "Hi, I'm Mr. Gregory of New York. My father said some of you cattle boys would meet me here and furnish me an escort to the ranch." Cattle boys? Yeah. That went over like a lead balloon? <laughs> well, it gets better, Zeb. <laughs> so, anyway, so Matt Nelson, he introduced the other figure four boys. They There's about four or five of them that had to come along just to, you know, just to see this dude. Anyway, uh, one of the boys suggested maybe they should have a little drink. Okay. Uh-huh. So, Gregor replied, uh, oh, I'd like that very much. So, the procession entered a saloon, and Matt bought drinks for his pals and the guest, and he then was told that it was customary to buy the drinks. Now, this he did willingly for almost a 100 men. <laughs> Such a display of sportsmanship made a good impression. Did you say 100? Yeah, made a good impression on the Texans, and he seemed like a pretty good guy uh-huh. so far. Now, Gregory and the figure four boys uh, filed out of the saloon, and Matt and the guest walked over to the hack, or the buggy, and Gregory climbed in the seat, Matt untied the team, then got in the rig, picked up the lines, gave a wild yell, and whipped the horses into a galloping start, and the rig lurched forward, Gregory grabbed the seat to keep from falling off. Well... They got to the ranch, and pretty soon he came out dressed in uh, Levi's boots and a Stetson. I can just imagine you know, what all, he looked like. All brand new, oh, you know, just sharp. Stiff as a board. Yeah. So the new cowhand, he took to the work. He learned fast and never asked favors from anybody. All of the figure four bunks took a liking to Gregory, and soon they were calling him Greg. Really? Okay, so that's good. How old was this guy? I don't know. Oh. I'm going to guess maybe in his 20s, early 20s. 20s. Yeah. Anyway, after a couple of months, he had learned to ride an old cow horse and shoot a gun and brand cattle. <laughs> Would rope. you want him shooting a gun around <laughs> Not you? Not around me. He learned how to rope. Uh, the cow hands kind of took a liking uh, to him uh, more and more all the time. Now, 
now, basically, he was one of the, quote, one of the boys. Uh-huh. So the pimp punchers figured it was high time for him to be given the trick wagon test. Now, I'm going to bet you've never heard of this one, Zeb. Okay. So the trick wagon, here's the way it works. The left side of the seat, okay, the driver sits on the right, had been worked over so the driver could trip a lever and cause the bottom to drop away. When this happened, the occupant on the left would instinctively grab for a bar placed at exactly the right place for a handhold. Uh huh. So then he would be running on foot, <laughs> hanging out of this bar. For some reason, this doesn't sound like a fun thing to do. Okay, well, it is. Keep, uh-huh. Let me keep going here. Uh, so Gregory went to town with the boys one day. Now, there was a really pretty girl that lived there, and his buddy went with him and made the introduction, and since he was well acquainted with her, but what Greg didn't know was that this gal was not married. Anyway. Uh, You're skipping over that real fast. Okay, well, it gets better. <laughs> So uh, so he's in there. He's met this, this pretty gal. All of a sudden, a great big tough-looking fellow was to appear on the scene at just the right moment. He would have a six-shooter loaded with blanks. You hope. Also, the trick wagon would happen to come along perfectly at the right time. Okay. Now, the cowboy knocked on the door, and it opened, and there stood this beautiful young lady. Uh, Introductions were made. Then his partner said he had to see a friend up the street, so he left. So as the cowboy walked away, the girl invited Gregory to come in. Well, he stepped into the room. Just then, a side door opened. In walked this huge wild man with a six-gun and a shouting, quote, You're the one who's been trying to bust up my home. Now, our hero, Gregory, <laughs> streaked out the front door. Uh, just then, the figure four rig showed up, and the driver yelled, Greg, over here, just jump on. Just as the six-shooter exploded three times, remember their blanks, coming back You'd toward... You'd better hope he got yeah, the right ones. Coming back toward the girl's house was the cowboy who'd made the introductions. He stepped right smack dab in front of the bullets and went down with a pitiful cry. Okay. Now, Gregory <laughs> glanced at his buddy sprawling there in the dusty street, and with a leap, he landed beside the driver on the hack. The horses were whipped into a gallop. Uh, three more shots split the air. The driver let out a wild yell and lashed the horses into a dead run. Now, most of the people in town were lined up on both sides of the street, whooping it up. As, oh, they knew about it. Oh, yeah. Oh. As this chariot sped by, now came the time for the driver to trip the gadget. Oh, here we go. As everything under him dropped away, Gregory made a frantic grab for the handhold. His booted feet smacked the ground. He swung onto the bar, and for a short distance, his feet were running, but he couldn't stay with the pace. <laughs> now, this tired-out youngster finally released his death grip on the bar, dropped beneath the rig, and while he was recovering, several of the figure four cowboys rode up, had a good laugh as he sprawled there in the dirt. Gregory had passed the test. He was one of the boys now. Oh, that's a rough <laughs> test. That is. I Holy it was good. moly. Anyway, uh, so anyway, now we're getting back to Matt. He moved on into Indian Territory in about 1902. He got a chance for more exciting work as a deputy U.S. Marshal. Uh-huh. So from a cowboy to a marshal. Matt Dillon. Yeah. So there was always trouble in a place called the Bokash or Bokashe area. Does that sound familiar? In How's it spelled? B-O-K-O-S-H-E. Hmm. And it's about 20 miles from the Arkansas, Arkansas I'm line. I'm not familiar with that. So I, I believe it's just, 
it's just a small town. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's not too far from Oklahoma, right in there close. Uh, so that's where he became a deputy U.S. marshal. I see. Now, robberies were common. Uh, Banks uh, drew outlaws like magnets. Seven miles to the east of Bokasha, or Bokosh, on the Kansas City Southern and Midland Valley Railroad, citizens of the little town of Panama were holed up for the winter. It was cold. and Anyway, two men chose this time to replenish their bankrolls. So they blew a safe in the bank, robbed the post office. Someone in town saw them make their getaway on foot. Now, that's got to tell you something right You know, there. sometimes the stories you tell about crooks, they're really dumb. Okay, so they're, they're running. All right. Now, Matt Nelson was notified, and he told Deputy Bill Gray he had a little job he might need some help on, and Bill came along to be his assistant. Now, learning that the bandits were afoot and had been seen leaving town to the north, the lawman guessed that they would use the mile-long trestle, uh, to ma- uh, railroad trestle, to make their escape. So they jumped on the horses. Matt and Bill rode fast for the bridge to intercept the thieves. They tied their horses in the woods near the north end of the trestle. As they reached the tracks, Matt said to Bill, Now, Bill, when we get toward the middle of the bridge, you step down and hide. I'll go a little farther and do the same. Uh, we'll let the fellows come on till they are in between us. Then we'll move in from both ends and make ca- the capture. Well, it was dark night, and Matt was walking just a step ahead of the deputy. Anyway, Bill, he had stopped at the end of the trestle to wait, so they were had the plan, and Matt went on alone. He figured there would be less chance of the outlaws making escape from the center of the bridge, where it was quite a drop to the bottom, so they weren't going to just jump off. Well, as he reached what he thought was about the center of the bridge, two fiery spots bobbed just ahead of him, the glow of cigarettes. Okay. So he quickly ducked down uh, and waited with the six-gun ready, and as the two shadowy figures passed him, he stepped carefully up on the tracks behind them and said, hands up, no false moves. The men froze, hands held high, and then he went on. He said, now just walk on and keep them up. Keep going till I say stop. My partner is up ahead, so don't try any funny stuff. You're between both of us and could never get away alive. The men walked along without saying a word. When they came to the north end of the bridge, Bill was waiting, gun in hand. Now they handcuffed the thieves and helped them mount Bill's horse. Then Bill mounted behind Matt and led the uh, bandits into town. They took the prisoners into a building, searched them. Neither one had a gun. (laughs) Wait a minute. They robbed the bank. Neither one had a gun. And neither one had a gun. And they were on foot. Yeah. So they were wearing overcoats, these big overcoats with big pockets. Yeah. And it was bulging with loot. All, uh, in all their pockets. So picture this, Zeb. They had these big coats. Besides bills, there were silver dollars, half dollars, smaller change, including hundreds of pennies, and even postage stamps. How did they even run away? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, they dumped the loot onto the lap of the bankers and the postal employees and sorted it out, and the printers, prisoners were sent to the penitentiary. you got to be kidding so, me. Dumb outlaws. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, horse and cattle thieves gave laws meant a lot of trouble in those days. Besides big-scale operators, there were those who only now and then stole an animal. Now, this is one I'm going to bet you have never heard of, because I never had. There was a lawbreaker called a quail netter. Quail netter? Yeah. yeah. Let me explain. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, there were lots of these men netting birds, especially 
in the uh, brushy sections of southeast Indian Territory, and Matt was sent out to put a stop to it. So it was against the law to net quails. What year was that? About early 1900s. I've never heard that. I, I have not either. Anyway, um, he was ordered to run down a, a lead on a, a fellow that was suspected of netting quail. Now, this man was harmless, uh, one who would never be thought uh, as being very clever, in fact. Most of the crooks weren't. <laughs> well, Matt had to stalk him for quite a while. At last, he uh, caught him in the act. Now, this is what he did. The fellow had, uh, had a net set up so as to form a U-shaped enclosure. Now, over this, another net made a roof. Now, from each end of the U, a long net fence uh, fanned out for some distance. Now, this guy would get on a bald-faced horse, as quail seemed less fearful of a mounted person. Now, the netter, the guy, rode slowly back and forth, back and forth, so as not to scare the birds uh, into flight, so they wouldn't fly. They'd just keep running. Now, gradually, they were herded ahead and into the net enclosure. Then the man dismounted, moved in, carrying some of the fence wing netting. By now, the quail had lost some of their fear of this slow-moving guy, and they huddled under the shrubbery inside the trap, and he closed up the entrance. He had several hundred of the birds captured in the net when Matt walked out of the brush and made the arrest. Now, the netters, this is what they were doing. They were shipping the game, the birds, to markets in Kansas City and St. Louis, and something that was being done in many parts of the country in those days. But for some reason, it was against the law, and I don't know why. You know, I'm shocked. I had never heard that. Never. No. And so they were, pardon me, they were selling them to restaurants, right? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I see. Anyway, but it was against the law. Is that called squab? I don't know that. I don't. I haven't heard that. Term. You've heard that, haven't you? I, I, I haven't. No. Somebody out there that knows that, give us a call. Yeah. Thank you. Go ahead. So anyway, we continue on. Hundreds of outlaws in the eastern part of the territory hold up in a place called the Cookson Hills. Uh, but sooner or later, most of them had to come out. Uh, one of the most popular places they headed for uh, was along the Arkansas River in Fort Smith. Mm-hmm. So every so, no- so often they had to come out of their hiding right. in order to head right. to town. And anyway, so Matt trailed a wanted man to Fort Smith, and he usually went straight to uh, uh, a place. You've heard of Bell Star. Remember her? Yes. Oh, she had a daughter named Pearl. Well, and she lived in uh, in Fort Smith. And Matt would approach. His approach was something like this: He would walk in and say, "Hello, Pearl. I'm after so and so. Do you know where I might find him?" And Pearl would say, "Well, all right, Matt. You come back at such and such a time, and you'll find your man." And Matt would leave Fort Smith with his prisoner. Let's quickly call her. I've only got about 30 seconds. I appreciate your call. Uh, go, please. You're on the air. Squab is pigeon. Thank you. Ah, squab is pigeon. There you Did go. Did she say pigeon or chicken? Pigeon. She oh. said pigeon. Pigeon, okay. I didn't know that. All you right. can tell I'm not a connoisseur. Yeah, yeah, well, okay. me neither. All right. Anyway, this this Matt Nelson was a remarkable guy. Uh, uh, this final gentleman was born in 1878. And he said he believed he would make a hundred, and at that time he was. Uh, uh, it doesn't actually say when he died, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you you lead us right up to the edge well, of the cliff and then back off. See, the problem is that this article was printed in 1967. Oh, and so he still would have been alive. Uh, call her quickly. You're on the air. I'll give you thirty seconds. A 
Bob is a young pigeon that is not able to fly before he's ready to fly. Cut it out. Well, he'd better learn in a hurry with these guys around. Thank you very much. Appreciate your call. Yeah. So that's the story of uh, this, the title is From Night Herd to Deputy Marshal. How would you like to be sent to the state prison? And you're sitting there amongst all these tough guys, bank robbers, murderers. What are you in for? Uh, I was a quail netter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't mess with me. <laughs> well, or the two guys that didn't even have a gun or a horse to rob a bank. What did you do? You well, know, we just walked in and robbed. I would, I would imagine the story about Matt Nelson. And his being a deputy United States Marshal and everything, I would imagine that that is easier to verify than some of the other historical stories. Well, and this was taken from an interview, Zeb. Oh, I see. So, yeah. uh, so probably, uh, I'm guessing the interview, it doesn't say exactly, it was in the 1930s, maybe 40s. I see. And then printed in Frontier Times in 1967. One segment that I've always wanted you to do, and I can't remember that we've ever done it, was on guns. You oh. know, like the Colt 45 and the yeah. 44 and everything. You know, I've read so many stories, and there's thousands of books I got in my bookshelves here that said in the Old West, it was tough to be a marksman with those things. Yeah. Well, I did do a show on Browning. That's on right. Browning you did. a while back. Yes, I remember yeah, that. But, yeah. Uh, and I thought I did one on Colt at one time. You I'd did at to... one time, but, you know, I'd like to discuss really, you know, uh, cowboys uh, in the Old West. They weren't really good shots, and they no. used their gun just basically to scare things. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's why... When have you, you ever shot one of those old guns? I haven't. I have. Don't hold it out in front of you like this, because you'll end up you with it forehead? in your forehead. <laughs> Well, even the black powder, you know, you shoot and you can't see whether you got yeah, the guy or not. Well, George Montgomery fixed my gun up that one time to where it was like supercharged, and I ended up on the seat of my Wranglers. <laughs> oh, it's fun, isn't but, it? But, you know, we ought to do one on guns. Some of the most used guns in the Old West. Okay, so let me just tell you, and you've been there, Cody, Wyoming. Yes. The Buffalo Bill Museum. Yes. Thousands of guns. Thousands Amazing. of guns. And you remember the story of Jeremiah Johnson? Oh, yeah. John Johnson is yep. his real name. Yeah. His gun and a knife are on display there. And he's buried uh, up there in or near Cody, Wyoming. Wasn't it a Hawken? I do not remember what his gun was. I think was. it was a Hawken, wasn't it? But I also saw a, I think it was a four or a six gauge shotgun. A four or, or six, six gauge, and it was. I'm going to guess about six feet tall, and it, the the stock on the bottom was like a big piece of wood, and you placed it on the ground. You didn't hold it up to your shoulder. Well, how could you? You couldn't. So you placed it on the ground and pulled the trigger, and uh, hopefully you shot. How many birds. trees got knocked down? <laughs> I mean, for heaven's sakes, I, I, that would shoot a jet out of the sky. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how many birds you'd get with four one shot. or six gauge. Yeah, it was huge. What were the? the I didn't. I didn't see the bullets or the oh shells. Oh my goodness. But uh, the shotgun shell at a four or six gauge? Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. But, you know, like the Colt 45s, you know, the opening that's always made me laugh, and I'll tell you this real quick, and I want you to respond, of Gunsmoke. Uh-huh. You know, where they step out in the street, Matt Dillon and the bad guy and everything, yeah. and the guns don't have any kick. Let me tell you from experience, and if there's somebody out there that disagrees, those things will put imprints in your forehead. I'm telling you, they'll kick. Okay, so Annie Oakley, first of her show, Yeah, she's standing on her gun, or her horse at a dead run, and yeah. she shoots at a target, Right. Uh huh. And when I was about eight years old, I had a BB gun, and I forgot that it was cocked, and I shot that target. 
really? right in the middle of the TV. And so for several years, we watched TV. Everybody had a little dimple in their forehead. And my dad let me know that that was not appropriate behavior. How long was it before you could sit down at supper? <laughs> my dad and I had a very good discussion. <laughs> God just, bless him. God bless my dad, yes. Oh, my goodness sakes. Yep. Really? You shot the TV? I shot the TV. Yeah. How old were you when you I did this know, dumb eight, thing? Eight or nine. Oh, nine, my goodness. You and the Christmas story. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yep. Oh, my. Hey, listen, what are we going to talk about next week? Quickly, I've only I got a minute I don't left here. know yet. I Actually, I've got a book on ghost towns of the Old West. Ooh. I might pick out a We've few. We've got quite a few here, don't we? Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I may pick out a few stories about the some of the ghost towns in the Old West. Let's do that. I, I think I will. I like I'll that. see what I can find. You did an excellent job. And by the way, whatever happened to Gregory? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. But he became, I think he really enjoyed what he was doing. Okay. If he went back to New York City, he might not have fit in real well. The cowboy in the continental suit. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. History. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Dr. History, and he'll be back again next week with more on Dr. History. Thank you.